friends, and welcome to episode 697 of the Juicebox Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to speak with Emily. She's an adult who's been living with type 1 diabetes for a large portion of her life. Today is the 26th installment of the After Dark series, and Emily is here today to share her very, very specific rememberings of her upbringing and to talk about how they've colored her life with diabetes. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you have type 1 diabetes and are a U.S. resident or are the caregiver of a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes, please go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Join their registry. Take the survey. Taking the survey takes fewer than 10 minutes. Your answers to simple questions help people living with type 1 diabetes. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. I swear it takes no time at all. You can do it from your phone. After you get done listening to Emily, head over. Or I guess maybe you could multitask and do it at the same time. Today's episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Learn more and get started today at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. It is at that very same link where you might find out that you're eligible for a free 10-day trial of the Dexcom G6. The show's also sponsored today by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod 5. Find out if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash, learn more about the Omnipod 5, or get started with some Omnipod product at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. If you're in the market for an insulin pump, I highly recommend it. Hi, my name is Emily, and I was diagnosed a type 1 diabetic when I was 10 years old. How old are you and now? I was, I'm 41. I mean, sorry, I'm, it was 41 years ago, so I'm 52. You're 52. You, do you know, Emily, and by the way, you'd have no way of knowing this, that I interviewed someone yesterday, and today was their 52nd birthday. Oh. Isn't that interesting? And yeah. at, at the same time, only interesting to me, really. So now that I've shared <laughs> it with everybody else, I was amused by it, and... uh it, I'm realizing quickly it has nothing to do with the podcast. So let's just keep moving. <laughs> well, all the best people are born in the first quarter of 1970. Um, I have three of my closest friends were all born in the first quarter. So we get together each year for fun and games, usually in Oakland. What happens in Oakland? Is it? Is it? Oh, that's just sort of the meeting point. Um, I have a friend who lives in Oakland proper and then another who lives in Danville and then another who lives um, in Turlock, which is sort of central California. Oh. Well, if anybody, so it's, it's, if anybody listening wants to um, kidnap your friends, they're a third of the way to it. So, <laughs> Oh, I don't think these women will let themselves be taken. <laughs> well, oh, you're saying come get us. It isn't going to work out for you. I got you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's excellent. So, okay. So diagnosed. 10 years old. Is that right? Yep. Yes. In the eighties, the early eighties. Yes. And, um, anybody else in your family have diabetes? Nope. I was the first one. Um, although my 
sister, who was five years older than me, no, four years older than me, um, was diagnosed about 10 years later when she was in college. Interesting. So you in the early 80s, your sister in the early 90s. Yes. You as a 10-year-old, her is more like an 18, 19, 20-year-old. Yep. Okay. Are you guys close or you're pretty far apart in age, it sounds like? Um, well, we were always fighting. There's a third oldest sister. And so she and I were more close because she sort of took me under her wing and would recommend, oh, I liked reading this book when I was your age, that kind of thing. Whereas uh, my middle sister and I were too close where we actually would end up at the same school. Like we were at the same high school for two years yeah. and that. That's she hated a- having to give me uh, rides around town and stuff like that. Well, uh, that sucks. I, uh, I I would have just said, look, if you want a car, you drive Emily. And that's that. Anybody makes a face, no more car. That's the end of it, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You've met my mother, apparently. <laughs> so that's may- maybe why she didn't enjoy driving you around. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so you're diagnosed. I mean, you're going to have diabetes for a decade before your sister does. There's no other diabetes in the family. Um, what was it like having type one as a 10 year old back in the early eighties? Well, um, it was all a big mystery and I'm beginning to suspect it was a mystery to every doctor I ever had because we got, um, we took a couple classes and stuff like that, but my parents were never, they never understood sort of what, first of all, I was testing my urine with a test tube and, you know, uh, eye droppers and little pills that turn certain colors. And, um, so you had a very wide range of what your color might mean. If it was dark blue, then you were very low or had been, you know, five hours ago. Um, it was never explained to me that the time frame between when I tested my urine and when that low had actually happened. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, you don't know. There, there's no context for you between the test and, <clears throat> and the event. Right. And right. they never bothered to explain it to us. And my parents never realized, uh, I don't know how they could have realized that they would be punishing me for something that I had done five hours ago and had no idea I was doing. Mm. So I was running high all the time <clears throat> simply because, uh, you know, I had never learned any portion management because that was not in the cards in the early eighties for a 10 year old. Um, and so I just feel like every single piece of knowledge that we got back then was wrong and just set me up for failure. Yeah. Were you using, um, um early eighties, were you using animal insulin or were you using regular MPH? Um, yes. Like for the first couple months it was beef and then we got brand new pork insulin for a while. And then I went to Humalog insulin and NPH or human, uh, insulin probably starting in college maybe. Okay. okay. Oh, a while, a decade. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I went to college when I was 17, so seven years. Oh, look at you, smarty. (laughs) (laughs) So so basically, you're shooting insulin in the morning and at dinner time. Yes. And you're, I mean, you know, I've never asked anybody this, but 
you get the pee in the test tube the way I assume, right? You just hold it under yourself. You get this hat. I don't know if, well, you're, if, if you're a woman and you go into the hospital and they need to collect your pee, they give you this, what looks like a plastic hat that you put underneath the seat in the toilet and then you pee into that. And then you take out a, a sample, an eyedropper okay. and you take out the sample. So then you have this plastic hat that's always in your bathroom. I was going to say is the plastic hats reusable, right? Yes, but it still got gross even know. when you cleaned them. Uh, anything you pee on, Emily. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Gets a gross factor at some point. So you're basically using this thing, taking out the sample, dumping out the rest of it, rinsing it off, putting it. I, I imagine it starts not even getting put away, right? It's just leaning on the wall in the bathroom or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. It never had a place to be put away. It was always just stuck in a corner. Yeah. Have you ever noticed when they build houses, they don't think, uh, where would we put a plastic hat if somebody needed it in the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it's and they they're still not building them in there. I, it's not fair. <laughs> still, still not happening. Um, yeah, gosh, that, I mean, even that alone has got to be arduous as a as a young child, right? Just yes, a drudgery. Yeah, and the only time I was doing it was in the morning or at night. Um, you know, I was only testing myself at times when my blood sugars or you know my blood urines my urine sugars would be high you know mm. like after i've eaten dinner um so you've got or, no you know, real chance for this test to come out looking positive anyway because you're probably not using enough insulin you don't have any idea about food or nutrition so you're just basically testing at the highest points of the day and that's then exactly right your parents see a color and get mad at you yes and so it took me 24 five years to start seeing a blood test as being just information that I'm being given and not a judgment on what a kind of person I am. Yeah. Um, and it's still, I'll still fall back into that. Sometimes I just recently got, um, a, uh, Dexcom and I mean, I just got it. I'm on my, uh, second trans or Oh, you're second, on your second sensor. You're less than 20 sensor. days with it. Exactly. Wow. Okay. And so, and it's, it's driving me crazy because I will see, you know, it tells you you're going up, you're at 190 and you're going up and I'll be like, okay, I have to wait. I've taken my insulin. I've eaten my food. I have to wait for it to calm down. And then I can't, then I'll be like, I'll take two, two units of insulin to try to get it down. But of course that doesn't show up for another hour. And by then it's, I haven't gotten the hang of it yet. Yeah. And it, well, it gets very saddening. Well, so first of all, I know exactly what you're talking about because when you're presented with the data in a new way, it feels like starting over. Because mm -hmm. even if you weren't doing it, you know, doing it, doing diabetes the way you were hoping to prior to that, you were at least probably in a rhythm. Like you did it the way you did it, and it's, you know, what what's expected happens, et cetera. Um, right. And then you get a whole new set of data and you're like, uh oh, like this is I'm really bad at this is how it feels. I mean, it felt like that way to me, at least when I saw Dexcom for the first time. Um, yeah. You're making me think that Dexcom should make an ad where they're like Dexcom better than a plastic hat to pee in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should capture that the whole 50, 60 year old market. No problem. People would be like, oh, they know about the plastic hat. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so. Um, 
are you well it sounds like you're not but i would say that the the first hump you have to get over is to not see the data as like a report card but just see it like big picture step back from it don't look at it minute to minute hour to hour look at it over 24 hours so you can kind of get a feeling for like is my basil right you know like that's where i would start because yeah you know it's and possible i, I don't even have enough i have to my uh endocrinologist appointment is hopefully coming up soon they haven't actually called me back to make the appointment yet but um hopefully they'll be able to give me more information because i don't really know what uh i, I kind of know what basil is but i don't know how to cook how to, with it, you know what it. I mean? No, 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 I do. I was just going to say, you are from a time period in diabetes where no one let you adjust your your insulin, right? Yep. Yeah, you just go to the doctor and they tell you like, we're going to make it, we're going to make it eight now. Like, that's pretty much it. You go, okay, that number's eight now. And, and yep. you just go with it. What have your A1C's been like over your life? Uh, I'll tell you a story. Um. I was seeing this uh, diabetic nurse practitioner and she said, you know, I think my last test had been at like um, 9.2 or something. So she says, would you like to try this drug? It's not, it's for type two diabetics. It's a shot. You take it when you take your insulin and um, it's supposed to really help with control. And I'm like, sure, okay. And so I took it for three months. And what it did was it made me so nauseous. I never ate. I was constantly throwing up. Uh, why I stuck with it for so long, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but my blood sugar numbers were pretty great. And I so then I went in and I told her that I wanted to get off of it because uh, I was literally throwing up every day. And uh She's like, oh, okay. Well, your numbers are really good. Um, you're down to 6.5, which is ideal. And so she tried to talk me into staying on it because I wasn't eating. And so I had lost all this weight and uh, my numbers were down. <laughs> yeah, that's not a perfect. I can't believe I can't believe that ideal was the word that was used because it's not ideal if you vomit constantly and that's why you lose weight and why you can't. Right. And why your A1C is lower because you're not eating and there's no food in your system. Exactly. Interesting. And, uh, How and I even got a little uh, certificate in the mail saying, your A1C is perfect. Well done. And they spelled my name wrong. <laughs> and I felt like, my name is right there. Like, it's in the list. <laughs> so, Emily, after hearing that you were vomiting your way to a 6A1C on some medication that clearly did not jive with your body well, they sent you a certificate of achievement in the mail and spelled your name wrong. Yes. Well, well, that's that. That's a copay well spent for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> did you keep taking it or did you stop? I stopped. Yeah, I have to tell you, I would not. It's an interesting thing, the generational thing with diabetes, because if somebody gave my daughter something and it made her throw up, I'd stop giving it to her immediately. Like, I wouldn't care what they said. You know what I mean? But it's interesting that you persevered with it. How long did you do it for? So I just checked out my link, Dexcom.com forward slash juice box, and somebody at Dexcom has spruced it all up. Thank you, Dexcom. 
It looks fresh and new. I was immediately greeted by a handsome photo of Nick Jonas, who, as you may know, has type 1 diabetes. After I swooned for a moment, I scrolled down. Who do I see? Miss Patty LaBelle. Patty LaBelle. Seeing her gave me a new attitude, if you know what I mean. Here's the point. If you're using insulin, type 1 or type 2, the Dexcom G6 is going to be a friend for you. You're going to be able to see your diabetes as it's happening. That's the speed, direction, and number of your blood sugar. Is it 89? Is it 120? Is it 150? Is it 240? Is it rising? Is it falling? Is it rising quickly? Is it rising slowly? Et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. So forth, so forth. Speed, direction, and number. You see that on the Dexcom receiver, if you like, or you can see it on your supported iPhone or Android device. This is a big deal. To see your blood sugar without a finger stick, to see it in real time, to be able to set alarms and alerts, I want to know when my blood sugar goes under 80. No problem. You can get that. You want to know when it goes under 60. You can get that. You want to you want to know when it rises above 120, 140, 150, 200, wherever you set those alerts. The Dexcom is going to give you the little beep beep and let you know when it's happening. On top, on top, on top of all these alerts and alarms, the Dexcom also allows you to share your data with up to 10 people if you'd like. That means your kid could be at school and 10 family members. I mean, you probably don't know 10 people, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? It could be up to 10. It could be your school nurse. It could be your husband, a wife, a sibling, a friend, an adult could have their friends looking. Up to 10 people can take a look at your Dexcom right on their phone if they like. Head over there today, Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. See Nick Jonas's smiling face. Learn more about the Dexcom G6. Find out if you're eligible for that free 10-day trial of the Dexcom G6 at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Omnipod is a tubeless insulin pump. It's a tubeless insulin pump that my daughter's been wearing for like 14 years now. Been wonderful. She's had it on every day. You can check it out and try it for yourself at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Here's what you may be eligible. I can't talk. Here's what you may be eligible for. A free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. That's crazy enough. You can also head over and learn more about the new Omnipod 5. That's an algorithm-based system that makes dosing decisions for you in conjunction with your Dexcom G6. Are you kidding me? The future is now, baby, and it's here. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Get started today. Learn more. Contact Omnipod and say, hey, you know, I'd like to try. Can I get the trial? Um, I even think they'll send you out a like a little. We haven't talked about this in a while, but I think they still do this. You can get a single pod, like a dummy pod. It doesn't actually work. Just if you want to try it on and wear it to get a vibe for how it feels. All of this is at your fingertips. The internet is at your fingertips. You use your fingertips to touch your keyboard and then you type on it. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. If you're looking for an insulin pump, in my opinion, you should look at the Dexcom. If you don't like it, it's cool. But I mean, a free 30-day trial gives you plenty of time to figure it out. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Links in the show notes of the audio player you're listening in right now. And links at juiceboxpodcast.com. Let's get back to Emily. And trust me, there's a lot more to talk about with Emily. Three months. No kidding. And well, and I would call her and tell her that I'm throwing up. She's like, well, try staying with it a little longer. It may just be, 
be taking you a while to get used to it. And so I kept thinking, it's not like I called her every week and she kept telling me to take it. Yeah. But, you know, after the first week, she said, well, take it a little longer, see if you still have it. And I just kept thinking, well, maybe next week it'll get better. What was the drug? I wish I could remember the name. That was long ago, right? It's I'm. It's one of the ones that's it has a commercial on it now. But every time I try to look for the, like, it, it, they didn't give me the. They gave me the off brand. Oh, you were using a generic of it. Yeah. And they didn't try so moving. I, you, they didn't even try moving you to the drug. Just generic only. Oh, that well, that was Walgreens' fault. Yeah, but the doctor can say no generic substitutes. Oh. I'm saying like the doctor never stepped up. Did the doctor know you were taking the generic? Do you think? Um, the nurse practitioner, nurse practitioner was the only one I was seeing. Um, and I honestly didn't. It didn't occur to me that it would matter. Gotcha. Well, it might not have. I'm just saying. It, I was wondering if that was the that would have been the first thing I said if I was the doctor. So I was wondering if it got said to you. All right. So, um, so this is pretty much your setup. Like this is how it's going. You're are you. Your Dexcom and MDI or Dexcom and a pump? Uh, MDI. MDI. Would you ever use a pump? I, my doctor keeps trying to get me to take a pump, but my I, I had a Dexcom about 10 years ago, and uh, I had a very bad experience with it, which I'm not having this time around, but it was with the... Um, the inserter. I don't remember the name of the three pieces, but the um the piece that you carry around with you as opposed to the receiver. You. So I'm sorry, the, the sensor. The, no. re the receiver, the part that you the, carry to look at your numbers on? Yes. Okay. The receiver. Right. The receiver was set so that it would beep at certain times. You couldn't change the beeps. And it was just constantly beeping. And I got so frustrated because it would wake me up for no reason. It'd be like your blood sugar is on its way up. Like I know, and I couldn't turn it off. And so I just said, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. Emily, you have gotten no help because those alarms are cust are customizable. You can change them. Well, the one I'm on now, I'm on the G6. You can customize it except for what it deems is your lowest low. F 50? At 50. 58, yeah, uh, beeps at you. Yeah, I uh, consistently wake up in my well before i was on it um i consistently would wake up with my blood sugar being in the 30s hmm. and i'd be pretty much coherent and i would just get up and i'd eat something and i'd go back to bed right um so well so emily there's a lot going on here you are about to learn a lot with this dexcom i tell you first of all please stick with it like unlike the drug that made you vomit i think you're going to have a good outcome with this um I stick with it because it sounds to me like you are using insulin in a way that is making you low. At times, you don't need to be that. I mean, 30 is just, I mean, 30 is a pretty big mistake somewhere. You, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it's with your meal or with your basal insulin. Like, I couldn't possibly tell you from here. But have you listened to the Pro Tip series of the podcast? A couple. Um, a lot of them, a lot of the, of the podcasts I've listened to just happen to be about things that don't really apply to me. Um, I'm gonna, or at least I haven't, I haven't heard ones that apply to me yet, but okay. um, I, 
I listen to a lot of a different kind of podcasts. So I, I have to admit that I don't listen to yours you're not, on you're a regular basis. Around. So but, I'm going to send you a specific list of management ones that might help you get your basal insulin dialed in and then give you ways to think about, you know, giving yourself insulin at mealtime because, because you shouldn't be at 30. Like, and I don't think you have to be, you, you know, so I think somebody needs to help you a little bit and get you, get you going in the right direction. Well, I can tell you that now I'm, I'm on, uh, Humalog and, uh, Lantus, mm-hmm. uh, uh, at least four shots a day. Cause the Lantus, I use a pen. So the Lantus is separate. Right. Um, and what I will tend to do is I'll be hungry. So I'll, I'll try to figure out how many carbs I'm going to take. And I was given at one point the ratio that I'm supposed to use. And so I'll figure out the carbs and then I'll take my insulin and then I'll end up about halfway through getting full. Like I have a really small stomach. Mm-hmm. And so I never finish a meal. And so the hardest part for me is figuring out how much I think I'm going to eat versus how much I do eat and when I should be taking my insulin. So they said, well, try taking your insulin afterwards. And so then I do that. Yeah, that's um, not okay. Emily, so here, again, the, the, inf- the information that people come back at you at is interesting where they skip over the common sense and go right to the dumb idea. I've seen that. <laughs> this has now happened twice in your stories. Um, it's if, happened throughout my life. Right, so, yeah, so here's here's a thought. If you don't know how much you're going to eat, why don't you bolus half of it as a pre-bolus, and then if you finish it, put the rest of it in? Like, you're not afraid of the needle, right? I mean, you've had diabetes oh, no, for 40 no, no. years. You don't care about oh i just cursed you you don't care about injecting i imagine right yeah no right I'm fine with it so do half up front give yourself a reasonable do you pre-bolus your meals at all uh you mean take my insulin before i eat yeah like but like yeah. you do but mm-hmm. like 15 minutes five minutes how long do you do uh it's usually about five minutes okay there's a whole world out there you don't know about. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to send you these episodes. I'm going to list them at the end of your episode so people can hear them. But when we get off, I'm going to just send you an email with a list. Okay. Okay. All right. And and I think that you'll be able to get your. So Emily, this is interesting for me. I didn't realize we were going to talk about this before we talked about the other thing. So in my mind, everything about type one diabetes is how you use insulin. And everything about the insulin is the timing and the amount, meaning you need to use the right amount at the right time. That can mean your basal insulin, the Lantus for you, and that can mean your mealtime insulin. Both things need to be measured and used properly. So the first thing you're going to kind of work on is getting your Lantus right. And your Lantus should be holding your blood sugar stable at a number, whatever your number is that you want. Like if you want to be 90 all the time, if that's your goal, if you want to be 120 all the time, if that's your goal, like whatever your goal is, there's an amount of Lantus that you can take that away from meals, away from meal insulin, and away from exercise, your Lantus should hold you with that number. You should have enough of it in there to hold you steady. You should think of the Lantus as sort of like um a giant unseen force standing over your top of your blood sugar, pushing down with its palms, holding your blood sugar stable at a number, not letting it rise up past that. That's its job. Now, once you have that right, 
you need to move on to understanding how to bolus your meals, right? Did Did you say pushing down with its paws? Uh, with its palms. I'm sorry. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Just like try to imagine Lantis being a a giant. I don't know, like a god. Okay. Well, I'd like to think of it as a giant bear now. Okay, fine. I'm with you. you. All right. I thought I heard pause. Emily, I'm going with you. Lantis is a bear, okay? It's a bear 10 times the size of you, and your blood sugar is this, I don't know, unforeseen ocean that's trying to float up too high, and the bear is just pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down, but not too far, just keeping it where it wants to be. That's what your basil's job is. It's to hold you stable at a number, okay? And then once you do that, that's sort of not a variable anymore for you because you know your Lantis is set up well and doing its job. And then you come along and look at your meal and say, all right, this meal's 30 carbs. And you look at your insulin to carb ratio. You put your insulin in, in enough time. I call this a pre-bolus. I think it's a, a pretty common phrase, right? In enough time so that when the action of the insulin starts to work on your blood sugar at the same time or a very similar timing, the food starts to work as well. So think of the meal as a tug of war. So on one side of the rope, put the insulin. Uh, and on the other side of the rope, put your, your food. Now, if you inject your insulin and begin to eat right away, the insulin's not going to start working for probably 15, 20 minutes, maybe if you're lucky. And then it's not going to be at full power probably for 30 minutes. Like when do you usually see a peak? Like 45 minutes maybe, right? And then, but the food hits you much quicker than that. So now you've put the insulin in, you've started the timer on the insulin, and you've told the food, go ahead and pull on the rope. Well, the food is now has a huge head start. It's pulling on that tug of war rope, and that flag is going more and more on the insulin on the food side, and your blood sugar is getting higher and higher. And you're seeing that now for the first time in your life because you're really wearing a Dexcom. So even if you start eating at a 90 blood sugar, you put in the food, you put in the insulin, 10 minutes later, your 90 is 100, then all of a sudden it's 105, then the arrow flips up diagonal, now it's 110, 115, 120, 125, and then the arrow flips straight up. This sounds familiar, right? And then your mm -hmm. blood your blood sugar starts flying up, and now it's, you know, 30 minutes later, your blood sugar is 190. And the insulin's really kind of feeling itself now, and it's at full, it's at its more full power, and it starts to pull down. So now the insulin's finally pulling on that rope, and then that arrow goes from straight up to diagonal up to level, because that arrow, if you can think of the insulin's got a hold of that rope, and it's finally pulling back, and it's pulling that arrow back around. But at this point, you only gave yourself insulin for the food with a 90 blood sugar as your math, but now your blood sugar is 190. There's momentum on the side of the of the blood sugar, on the side of the food. This insulin you've used is not nearly enough. And right. that's one thing that happens to you. The other thing that happens to you, I bet, is that that whole process happens, but you don't finish your meal. And then the, then the insulin comes online, overwhelms the number, and crashes you back down again. Does that all make like sound like stuff that's happened to you? It's like you're reading my pancreas. I have to tell you those other podcasts you listen to are going to have to go on the back burner for a while, Emily, because we are going to get you straightened out, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, See, that's the whole reason I wanted to talk here, yeah. because my therapist said, you know, uh, the whole way you're dealing with everything as far as uh, 
diabetes and chronic pain and stuff has to go back to the grief that you've dealt with since you were 10 and on. Tell me about it. And, you know, my grief, uh, there's a grief when you're diagnosed as a diabetic, because even if you don't understand it, you do understand that you no longer get to eat as many double stuff Oreos as you want. There's a loss there. There's a, you know, a, a loss about, well, now I have to start thinking about everything I'm going to do for the next hour, day, week, month, year. I have to sort of plan everything out. Mm -hmm. Like my friends make fun of me because I'm one of those people who has a purse that has something for every possible thing that could happen. Yeah. Because that's what diabetics have to do. Well, Emily, not that people with diabetes don't need to be prepared, but I'm going to assert that it's more what you have to do than what some people have to do. So my daughter's 17. She's had diabetes since she was two. Yesterday afternoon, she came home from school at one o'clock. She's a senior and she's got early release. They apparently are not teaching them anything in her last year. And she comes home and um, her her day begins, basically her personal day. And we knew uh, my daughter had plans to go out with her friends that night. They were going to go to dinner. So my daughter comes home. Um, she had eaten something at school. We had not spoken to her about it. Uh, she had given herself a little too much insulin. So while she was getting ready, she took care of that with a little bit of juice, got herself at about a 90 blood sugar, um, took a shower, put her makeup on, got dressed. Her friend came and picked her up. They drove to a friend's house. Three, four hours later, they were having dinner. Um, they ate at a restaurant from like 6 to 7.30. They went back to the friend's house. They hung out all night, did a sleepover, and she walked back in the door today at 10 a.m., I did not speak to my daughter since she left the house yesterday at three or three, I think, maybe two. And I'm going to pull up her her Dexcom in front of me right now, okay? And over the last 24 hours, after my daughter fixed the little low that happened when she came home from school, which was about 65, her blood sugar is, for for a number of hours, from three o'clock until... 630, her blood sugar was 88 to 91. And then it looks like she missed a little bit on her dinner and she had a spike, but she spiked to 140. And that only lasted for about a half an hour. And then over the next uh, 738, 39, 30, she came back down. She looks like she caught it with a little snack, the drop around nine o'clock. And then she leveled out. And by 10 o'clock, she was 75. And for the next 12 hours, she was basically between 85. And at one point, she got to 110. And that's a pump and an algorithm and a CGM working together, along with her knowing how to bolus for her meals and how to fix her low blood sugars without causing a high one. That's all she knows how to do. She fixed her low without causing a high. She bolused for her meal. And other than that, she's wearing an algorithm. She's wearing an Omnipod that's running an algorithm. And it is giving her insulin and taking it away and keeping her basal exactly where she needs it to be. That is a world you could easily live in. It is not that hard to get involved. If you have insurance that will cover a Dexcom, you can get a pump. You know? Or you can, or you can learn to do it with it. WI. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on you, but where you could learn to do it with MDI, there are plenty of people who do. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I was really burned at the beginning with the the lack of uh, information I got, and yeah. then I just I have a complete mistrust of doctors. Um, I stay away from them as much as I can because I've never had a doctor really tell me anything particularly useful. Um, when I was 13, I passed my first kidney stone, although that's not what I thought it was. I uh, stayed home because I thought I had cramps. And then I was passing a kidney stone, which have you ever passed a kidney stone? My wife has. I have not. Yeah, they're really horrible, yeah. um, <clears throat> especially without pain medication. Mm-hmm. And um, sorry, I'm phlegmy. Uh, You're fine. I have an edit thing later. I'll listen back to this. No one will ever even know you coughed. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> you can change to say, to say I'm Flemish if you want. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I called my mom at work and I said, mom, you have to take me to the doctor. I'm in so much pain. Um, I'm pretty sure this is because I'm a bad diabetic. I'll do whatever you want. Just get this pain to stop. So she didn't, it didn't occur to her that it was a kidney stone. It didn't occur to anybody that it was a kidney stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got me to the doctor. The doctor said, well, have you been testing your blood? Because by now blood testing had come out where you did these big strips and you had to put like half a gallon of blood on it. Yeah. And then it would show you a color scheme. And um, I didn't do those because I didn't, I just didn't want to. Um I had sort of no one ever explained to me how that would be any more helpful than the the urinalysis test. Mm-hmm. So um, I get to the doctor and I'm still in a lot of pain. And he says, well, what have your last blood sugars been? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't tested them. And he's like, why haven't you tested them? And I said, because I can I feel I can feel if my blood sugar is going to go low. And he's he slams his fist down on his desk and screams bullshit at me. Sorry. You no, you're fine. And to a 13-year-old. Right. Like, he went all... He got crazy. Robert De Niro in yeah. my face. Yeah, yeah, And so I left that, never getting help for my kidney stone, which I eventually just passed. Wait, they didn't... Uh, they just let you leave the hospital? They had me leave the hospital. Because you didn't test your blood sugar? They didn't check on the pain? Yeah. Emily, where did you grow up? <laughs> Northern California. Wow. I'm sorry. Listen, let me say something to you. I didn't think this was going to go this way, but I am sorry for all of the bad information that you have gotten over the decades. But I wanted to tell you that that doesn't exist anymore if you don't want it to. The, the information's easy to come by now. Um, it's literally in that I'm going to give you basically, I don't know, 15 episodes of this podcast. If you listen through them and marginally understand what you're listening to, your A1C will be in the sixes. It's, it's the technology is so much different, but I think for you faced with that information, I think the 40 years of somebody or everybody maybe letting you down, you just feel like maybe it's not possible or is it too or do you feel like it's too late because it's not too late and it's incredibly possible like you should go into my private facebook group and see that there are 20,000 people in there who are all either learning or doing 
and their blood sugars are not the way you describe. They are not living lives the way you think it has to be because you have diabetes. You just grew up in a bad time with type one, but you're still here and you're young and it doesn't need to be like that anymore. Well, I appreciate that. And I will listen I'm to uh, the podcast. Um, here's the kind of thing that I grew up with. Uh, I was um, diagnosed in December of 1980 and I turned 11 the next month in January. Mm-hmm. And um, we got a diabetes forecast magazine. Does anybody still get that? I don't know, but I was in it once. Oh, congratulations. I don't know. It didn't feel that exciting. (laughs) Well, I had my doubts about this whole diabetes thing Mm -hmm. when I saw there was a cover article that had the headline, I'm a diabetic, or maybe it was my daughter was just diagnosed a diabetic. Can I still get a Christmas tree? What? (laughs) That's what I said. And I... I I it confused me. I'm like, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't you get an? I knew enough about diabetes to know that Christmas trees have nothing to do with diabetes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anything I ever saw was either super super scary, uh, made no sense at all, or was super twee like that. Just the sort of not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Exactly. Oh yeah, the diabetes space is full of bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't do bullshit. So, so I'm just telling you, that there's a. It's timing and amount. You use the right amount of insulin at the right time. You get your basal right. You learn to pre-bolus for foods. You learn the difference between different foods glycemic index and and load. Just meaning that, you know, ten carbs of watermelon is not going to impact your blood sugar the same way ten carbs of white rice will. Right. And then you stay flexible after that. And a bunch of other stuff. It's a 6A1C. Just good basil. Get your pre-bolus together. Understand how much insulin things need. That's pretty much it. Like, there's not much more to I mean, listen, uh, that's an unfair statement. There's a lot more to it. But that's the base of the, that's the base of the building right there. You got to get that right. And then after you get that right, the rest is a learning experience that you'll actually have time to learn because your experiences won't be so horrible. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between something going wrong and your blood sugar spiking to 140, which is what I described with my daughter's dinner last night, and something going wrong and you waking up in the middle of the night and your blood sugar's 30. Like, one of those things is an emergent disaster, and one of those is like, oh, I got my bolus a little wrong here. You know, so, like, when you're constantly in the disaster, you can't see the lessons, you know what I mean? Like when you're running from the from the bear through the woods and the woods are on fire, that's not the time to think deforestation deforestation probably caused this. You, you know, like this is the time to think I got to run from the bear and the and the woods are on fire. I don't want to burn down. You're always constantly flight or fight, I would imagine. And yeah. and you need you need to get you into a, a more calm place where you can actually watch something happen and say to yourself, "Oh, Emily, huh, I pre-bowl is 10 minutes here." And I spiked a little bit and then didn't get low later. I bet you if I changed that pre-bolus to 15 minutes for this meal, the spike wouldn't happen and I wouldn't get low. Like you can be a little more thoughtful about it when you're not running for your life. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think part of the reason I react the way I do to pretty much any sort of problem mm-hmm. is, you know, my 
basically, uh, I was diagnosed with diabetic when I was 10. My dad died when I was 12. Yeah. And so my fight or flight reaction is stuck at that age. So I feel like I don't quite under, you know, that it's still a 10 year old me who is trying to fight with this diabetic stuff Yeah. and is just so shocked. You know, I thought I was going to die. My whole family joked that I would be the first one to die because of the diabetes. Bunch of comedians you grew up with there, Emily. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, so the fact that I've made it to 52 is so shocking to 10-year-old me. Well, I'd start taking um, that as a sign if I was you, Emily. And I would, <laughs> I'd, I'd, um, I'd forget what those people said, and I'd get busy living. You know what I mean? There's a well, lot of I time mean, left here. The diabetes hasn't stopped me from doing anything except um, my mom sat me down when I was in high school and said, you realize that you're going to have to have a job the minute you get out of college because you need to have health insurance for the rest of your life. And mm -hmm. she explained to me what insurance will do. You know, once you get off insurance, now this is a pre-existing condition and you can't get on insurance again. Uh, unless you have a job that recognizes, you know, that will give you health insurance. And then for six months, you're paying, you know, millions of dollars for your insulin, even though back then it wasn't as expensive as it is now. Um, well, that's and, good advice. Get a job, have insurance. I think that's valuable advice for a person who has type one. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm yeah. really glad I know it. But having to do that kept me from doing what I really wanted to do. Like I ended up uh, it took me five years to graduate from college because I had to have a, a full-time job as well mm -hmm. because my mom stopped, uh, supporting me and, um, which was fine. I was an adult. Um, but then, uh, I had to start temping so I could get insurance and I wasn't able to go. I wanted to, to move to New York and become a comedy writer. And instead, and, you got a job to make sure you had uh, health insurance. Yeah. Instead, I started temping at uh, this marketing company um, in San Francisco. Well, I had a whole bunch of temp jobs, and I started working for this marketing company. And that got me into databases. And now I do IT stuff, which, I mean, I'm okay at. And I guess it's okay, but I sure would rather be doing something different. Or at, least, or at least trying the thing you were hoping to do. Yeah. Well, you, you talked in your note to me about grief. And you said yeah. that obviously being diagnosed was hard. And then your father passing soon after was hard. Um, did it keep coming after there? Or were, there two, were these two things just very present with you constantly growing up? Well, um, my family didn't know. The rest of my family, my mom and my two other sisters, didn't know how to grieve my dad's loss it so it got buried under about you know 15 miles of crap and um my mom ended up like right when i felt i needed her most let alone my other sisters my uh, i was 12 my middle sister was 16 and my uh eldest sister was 19 mm -hmm. and hang on a second Okay. Um, because my mom wasn't expecting this, I think she sort of reevaluated her life 
and realized that she was going to start spending her life for herself and not for her children. And she found this friend who was 12 years younger than her, and they just started, you know, running off on trips and doing things like that. And I don't actually have a problem with her having done that, but she didn't allow us to grieve. She just said, okay, move on with your life. I'm moving on with my life. And, Mm. you know, I barely saw my mother. Well, I wouldn't say barely, but she she wasn't around as much as say my friend's mom's and the last conversation that I remember having with my father was one that he was uh, accusing me of because my uh, blood sugars, when I did test them were high, he, and he had the memory of my urinalysis being high. Um, he had decided that I somehow had found a way to go to Seven Eleven and buy candy. And I had it hidden somewhere in the house, which was not true. And that was the last interaction I remember having with him before he died. How did he pass? Uh, he had a heart attack. He was a uh, he was only forty nine, and um, he was a five pack a day smoker, meat and potatoes guy. So it's not a shock. Hmm. Um, uh, any, but is there any drinking or drugs going on in the house with your parents? No. No. Interesting. Okay. So your dad dies. Your mom flips out. Do you, do you remember your mom being a panic before your dad died or did it just really get to her? I think she didn't know how to deal with it. My yeah. entire extended family, I've talked to, um, like I'm really close with my cousin. Um, and uh, she talks about how her family, you know, our, our whole extended family doesn't know how to grieve. You just kind of, you're supposed to push things down. The only, the only thing you're allowed to do at family functions pretty much is laugh Um we're all very happy, goofy, and not recognizing the, the problems that everybody has, mm-hmm. um, which has caused several divorces and just weird things, things. not going well, right? And for yeah. you, for you, I mean, let's be honest, right? You you feel abandoned, um, right? Yeah. Even though I, I mean, I wasn't really abandoned. It just felt like that. Yeah, and well, you don't have to stick up for anybody. I understand what we're talking about. Don't worry. I, I know they didn't leave you on purpose, but I'm saying you. The, the the end result is you feel abandoned. Your dad left. He died. Your mom left. She kind of went and took care of herself. And you mean she might have physically been there, but she wasn't helping you. And you were only 12 years old at that point, right? Right. Yeah. And so you grew up 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 probably with your older sister helping you more than anything else. Then you go off to college in the middle of being at college. Your mom lets you know, she's not paying for you anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's an abandoned feels that'll make you feel abandoned as well. And then you abandon your dreams to take care of your diabetes. Right. Yeah. So you hate diabetes. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And you're probably not thrilled with your mom, but she didn't leave you, leave you. So I'm assuming you write that off in your head. Are you mad at your dad? I'm getting there now. Um, I romanticized him for a long time. Um, but I took it all out on my mom um, because she was the one that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talked about being abandoned by your mom. She drove me to, I went to UC Santa Barbara. And so she drove from the Bay Area down to UC Santa Barbara. And for some reason, she had decided that she was just going to turn. It's like six hours, six and a half hours drive. Right. 
And um, she decided she was going to do the drive all in one day. So we got up super early. Everything was already packed, drove down there, um, unloaded my stuff. And then I turned as I put the last box down, I turn around. She was already in the car, starting it up and driving it away. And she yelled out the window right when you get work. Were you guys broke? No. Well, OK, I we. There were more money problems than she let on. She just didn't tell me. Right. So, you so didn't if think she you had broke. told me, yeah. if she had told us, we could have, you know. Understood, maybe. Yeah. Um, was your mom a nice person? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. She was a nurse. Um, that's why they caught my diabetes super early. Because I started showing symptoms uh, over Thanksgiving. And then was in the hospital by the second week of December. Mm -hmm. So um, I still don't have, knock on wood, very many, you know, I've never been gone into ketoacidosis as far as I know. Okay. Certainly never been hospitalized for it. Um, I, my optic nerve is but still perfect. Uh my kidney values are fine, except for the stones. Um, I don't have, you know, I don't have uh, all the things that are supposed to happen. Yeah, you haven't had any, you haven't had any, like, ill effects from diabetes yet. Yeah, yeah. I, that I would have expected to happen by now, given the fact that I haven't even bothered to really pay attention. When did you start to pay attention? When did you actually start testing your blood sugar? Uh, in 1999, I moved up into the Pacific Northwest and saw a doctor and they said, you know, there's much better insulins that you could be on. There's, there's much better things that you could start doing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, they gave me a, uh, a blood testing monitor, um, whose name I'm forgetting off the top of my head. It's uh the freestyle freedom light where you can have alternative blood testing you know sites so i started using my forearm rather than my fingers because mm -hmm. i could never handle the fingers okay um and so once i could do that i started testing my blood more so emma and you basically went 18 years without testing your blood sugar and then is, am, am i getting that timing right about 18 years 81, 90. Yeah, I was 30, 20 years. 20 years. Okay, about 20 years you didn't test. And then for the last, you know, the last chunk here, you've been paying more attention. So in the last 20 years, have your A1C still been in the nines? Uh, the mid eights, mid eights to the low nines. How much effort do you put into diabetes every day? Not a lot. Not a lot. Okay. So it's, it's not, I see. Do you know other people with type one? No. No, you don't know anybody else with it. Um, well, my sister, I did. I did know her. She was also not a good diabetic, but she hadn't been diagnosed. She had it way before she was diagnosed with it because she was on her. She was in college and she was on her summer bikini diet and eating like five hundred calories a day. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't as obvious. You know, she was losing weight, which she thought, well, that this diet is working. Right. And 
she thought she was peeing a lot because she was drinking so much water. She thought she was drinking so much water because she had, yeah, she was, you know, you're supposed to drink eight glasses of water a day or whatever. Yeah. It all covered each other. Do you guys ever talk about your diabetes? The two of you? We would complain about it. She died in 2014. Oh gosh, Um, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, so let me get the overall grief thing out of the way so you can understand. Okay. So I go to college in 1987, um, pass a couple of kidney stones, um, moved back up to the Bay area in 93. And my middle sister starts to be antagonistic towards me because we each got, a an inheritance from our grandmother and I used mine and took a trip and backpacked around Europe, whereas she was married. And so she bought a house. Um, and so she was mad that she didn't get to go to Europe. And so she, we never talked about this, but that's how I sort of felt about it. She was just always kind of, mm-hmm. she had, I was staying in her house uh, for about three weeks or maybe a month. I was working three different temp jobs uh, until I could get enough money to move out. And um, then I caught walking pneumonia. So while I was out with walking pneumonia, uh, my sister thought I was making that up. So she, um, it, this sounds so much more Mari Povich than it really was, <laughs> but um, she had my mom kick me out of her house. She, my sister, had my mother kick me out of my sister's house. Okay, I understand. Which I didn't know you could do that um, by letter. I didn't even get to talk or basically. Uh, when my mom writes, you know, you've always been the funniest, but also the most selfish. Like this really harsh oh, letter. Geez. And uh, so I... Uh, we we kind of had a falling out after that, although it would kind of go up and down. Um, in 2012, so I moved to the Pacific North, Northwest and my eldest sister was in Pacific Northwest already. And in 2012, um, my mother dies, surprisingly. Like no one expected it mm-hmm. at all. Um, so that threw us all for a loop. And then... Uh, two years after that, my middle sister dies. Uh, they're not sure of what, um, we would have had to pay like 1100 bucks for an autopsy and we didn't. She's now the ma- I wish she's I- the married with the house one, right? Yes. Okay. And, um, she's the one who also had diabetes. So when you have diabetes and you die, they assign you. We always used to joke that, oh, you know, we get in a car crash, they're going to blame it on the diabetes. Right. And well, she was also on uh, several different pain meds because she had terrible uh, complications. She had um, a tracheostomy because of all the throwing up she did because she had um, uh, what's that stomach disease where your stomach doesn't gastroparesis. Yes, she had gastroparesis. Um, her kidneys were basically shot. Uh, and so she died at the age of 47. It sounds like she was doing less 
day-to-day work on her type one than you were for sure. Well, she actually, she actually, I don't, I don't know whether she was doing more or not. Um, We never discussed it, but um, she had just always had, because her diabetes had been noticed. Her diabetes had taken hold much earlier before she was diagnosed that it just, it came with more crap. Like, I think even if she had a pump and the best everything in the world, she still would have gotten gastroparesis. She still would have gotten the neuropathy. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how to say for sure what people, what what things people would develop or not develop based on their care. Um, I can tell you that I think if you get good care immediately and you keep A1Cs lower, um, that that lowers your chances of these things happening, but certainly is not a not a foolproof system. But it sounds like a lot went wrong. Like it, to me, I mean, a layman from the outside, it sounds like your sister's A one Cs were really high, and it was just ravaging her in a number of different ways. Yeah, she she would go into ketoacidosis like every three weeks. Yeah, and um, well, and the problem was uh, that her doctors would fight with each other through her, like her diabetic doctor would say, you need to do A, B, and C. And her, um, her kidney doctor would say, no, no, you need to do X, Y, Z. In the meantime, she's in so much pain and neither of them are giving her any pain medication. Mm -hmm. So finally she gets an okay, she changes hospital. She moves up to, to, Pacific Northwest. So all three sisters are together after mom died and she lived near my other sister and she was on disability. And so my eldest sister found her an apartment and my niece was going to go over and just sort of help her out, um, you know, clean the cat box for her and, and stuff like that and hang around and make sure she was okay. And within the month, my niece went over there and found her dead on the floor. And we don't know what killed her, but because she had a bottle of, uh, you know, legally prescribed methadone, they decided that, oh, she, she OD'd. Was she a recovering heroin addict? Nope. Methadone is a common pain. Is it common for pain? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. And it's really good. I'm on it too. And it's really good. It gives you, it helps with just standard, just the lowering of a pain. Changes your threshold. Yes, exactly. What are Um, you, what are you on it for? I have chronic pain in my hips and legs and shoulders. My shoulders basically are like stuck in frozen shoulder syndrome and have been for four years now well that's a complication of type one frozen shoulder yeah yeah that's what they've told me are they um did you get it looked at like by somebody who thinks they can treat it or are they just treating the pain um well i have a pain management doctor but i also am seeing a physical therapist i have a a php i'll be going to see an endocrinologist um i'm my pain is pretty well managed now Okay. Um, do you have any considerations about 
like maybe if you brought your A1C down and got your variability a little stable, like your stability better, then maybe some of your problems might alleviate. That would be great. Yeah. Cause there have been people your age that have come on that have talked about that. Uh, people with, with significant type one, um, complications who were on their way to others. And then they found the podcast and got their A1C down. And some of those complications, uh, I'm thinking of one person now whose vision was going and then he got his blood sugar down and stable and his vision stabilized. Oh, well, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Do, do you understand like why high blood sugars cause problems like this? Um, in a very vague way, I sort of pictured in my head as um, if high, I always picture my body as being sort of a cartoon. And so, you know, like my optic nerve, uh, high blood sugars, high blood sugar to me is like uh, a cotton ball surrounded by um, steel spikes. So as it rubs up against the optic nerve it shreds it it's a sort of a weird no no it's not weird thing. at all it's how i think about it too i think of it as there's a certain amount of sugar that belongs in your blood and that at the molecular level sugar is jagged just like you would see table sugar but smaller when, right. you, when you pack too much of it in your blood you're basically being scraped or sandblasted from the inside out right and um and all you need to do for that to stop happening and to give your body a chance to heal is to get a adequate but not too low or too high level of sugar in your blood and find some stability you don't want to be rocketing up and down up and down that's really bad for you as well right yeah i so emily in the last years uh last couple of years well just the other day actually a company named omnipod came out with a algorithm pump that will make your you know insulin dosing well, it, it adjusts your insulin as you go along during the day. You still have to bolus for your meals. There's right. also a company named Tandem that has a pump that does the same thing. Control IQ, Medtronic has a pump that does the same thing. There are three pumps on the market that do this. Two of them work with your Dexcom. Control IQ, Omnipod 5. Like these things, if you got them on with even like reasonably good settings, I think your blood sugar would would level out i think your a1c would go into the sixes and stay there and you know then you'd really just have to worry about um you know your bolusing for your meals properly um you know counting your carbs right understanding the different impacts of different foods and pre-bolusing a little bit i really think there's a, a lot of success very available to you and everybody else not just you um but you got to go get it like you have to I mean, you got to go to a doctor and make them do it. Don't wait for them to suggest it to you if it's what you want to do. But you're also at the same time, you're battling all this grief, right? You're in counseling. Uh, I, yes. How long have you been doing that? Um, well, I saw one therapist for about 15 years and then she retired. Um, and so I've seen, uh, I've been seeing the one I'm have now for a couple of years. Is it helping you? Um, I'm having a, a slightly harder time adjusting to, uh, my new person. She's great. Um, she's a little more in your face than I'm used to. Um, what's the goal for you when you go to therapy? Yeah. See, that's the problem. <laughs> 
my my goal when I was seeing my first person was to basically just express my grief and my rage and everything else in a safe space um, and then prescribe antidepressants because I've been diagnosed with severe depression. Okay. Surprise, surprise. Um, how, how is your, do you ever have your thyroid levels checked? Oh yeah. I'm on thyroid meds too. I'm on. Um, Synthroid? Synthroid. Yeah. What's your TSH when it gets checked? Do you know it? I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, I get really bad about taking. Um, I was only told recently that you're supposed to take your thyroid meds before you eat and on like right the, first on thing in the, the morning. Stomach, not not with any other medications or food. Right. Yeah. So you've been taking it. It's not been helping you. Right. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that you might find with an unregulated hypo, you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. Have they told you? Uh, hypo. Okay. So with hypothyroidism, depression's one of the things that you that you get from having an unregulated thyroid. Very possible that could be from that. So taking your thyroid medication every day at the same time letting it stay in your stomach for an hour or, you know, at the, you know, without putting anything else in with it. Um, you might see a, an improvement just doing that for two weeks and then continuing on. But I mean, I'm saying in the first two weeks, you might see a real benefit that you have. Are you cold all the time? Uh, does your hair fall out? Do you have dry skin? I have dry skin, but no, my hair is okay. And, uh, I'm not always cold. Um, regulating your thyroid's a really big deal. It also makes your blood sugar management easier. There's a whole yeah. series in the podcast about thyroid, too. You might like this podcast. You'd be surprised. <laughs> um, There's only so much self-improvement I can do before I start to rebel. Because remember, I'm between 10 and 12 years old. Yeah. Well, Emily, I don't know a lot about the psychology of, of people. Um, I'm certainly no expert, but I will tell you this. If you don't do something different, it ain't going to end well. So, <laughs> y you know, you might as well, like, I mean, if you're going to find something to, uh, to take serious, I would think that your, that your physical health would give you the best chance. I, I would think that having solid physical health is attainable for you. I don't hear anything about you that says that you couldn't accomplish that. And then you would give you more time to work on your on your mental health, and you might uh you might have an easier time with that when your physical health is is there. I mean, high blood sugars make people, um, you know, it's altering in your mind, and low blood sugars are as well. Vacillating up and down blood sugars are hard on you. Um, I think you I think you take your synthroid every day. I think you listen to a few episodes of this podcast to figure out how to get your, your insulin like regulated a little bit. And you might see a really different person 30 days from now. Looking back at you. Are you up for that? Do you think, or are you just going to like, light this thing on fire and ride it out to the end? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> well, that's up to you, but um, like nobody, I mean, everybody in your life is gone, right? Yes. Um, after my middle sister died um, and my niece found her, um, two years after that, my eldest sister died of um, a very rare 
cancer called gastrointestinal stromal tumor. Um, Emily, I would take the fact that you're still alive as a sign that you're supposed to be here. <laughs> and I, I mean, because everything around you is a show. D- due respect. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a dumpster fire, and um, and you're for some reason standing up in the middle of it, and you're okay, and you're at the very least alive, and I don't know, like I mean, it's a really weird thing because I'm not judging you at all. Like, if you just want to sit back and be like, oh, I got a crappy hand dealt to me, and I'm just gonna ride it out, I wouldn't know. I mean, I couldn't blame you. You know what I mean? I don't know what you've been through. It, it maybe it's more than you can overcome, but. I mean, I think it's obvious that that this path is going to end poorly. I mean, you've seen that with everybody in your life, basically. Um, you might as well try a different path. I mean, what do you got to lose, really? Well, that's true. It's just I've I don't have a keeptuitiveness that you know I I get on these kicks where I'm like, all right, I have found the solution. I'm gonna do this, and then like after a week, uh, it, I lose interest. And I don't know if that means, I don't know what that means or where I got that from. Um, you know, my dad always thought it was because I was lazy. My mom always thought it was because I was lazy. Well, I would um, think, may, may I uh, play pop psychologist with you? I would think sure. it's because that somebody has sent that expectation up for yourself. So you're just trying to, you're just trying to prove them right. I think you're just, I, I all of that sounds like nonsense to me. Like you're a reasonable person. You were here when you said you were going to be today, right? You get your insulin, you buy your your CGMs, you go to your doctor's appointments, you get up in the morning, you eat every day. You're yeah. you, you do plenty of things. You know what I mean? And I feel I should get a cookie for that. Well, good. Then have one. I don't give a shit. Like definitely have a cookie. Like like feel good. Pat yourself on the back all day long if you want to. I'd wear a shirt that says Emily Rocks. That's fine <laughs> with me. You, you know what I mean? But what I'm saying is, is that if you grew up with a father telling you for Two, you know, for two years, every time that that test came back high, it's because you're lazy. First of all, no offense to your father, he didn't know what he was talking about. Either right. did either did the the medical community at that point. Um, you were a child, so you're being told every day you're doing something wrong. In fairness, you didn't know what you were doing, so it's not like you were actually doing something wrong. You know, it wasn't even willful. You were just doing what you were told to do. It was ending the way it was always going to end because you were set up for failure to begin with. And then along comes this person to tell you it's your fault so they don't have to feel bad about it. Because what he really is thinking is, oh, I'm failing this little girl, but I'll put it on her. So he puts it on you. Then your dad dies and your mom puts it on you, right? And then life puts it on you and you're just you're just living a self-fulfilling prophecy of, of you're trying to make them right. I'm lazy. Things don't go right for me. My sister died. My other sister died. My mom died. This is my lot in life. I'm going to die. Here I go. I don't think any of that has to be true. Well, I will die. Well, yeah, it doesn't need to be today. You're 52. Well, no, I don't think it's going to be today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let's like, let's get into this. Like, I'd like to see you back on this podcast 10 years from now being, look at me, still here, baby. <laughs> You know, seriously, like, and and I'm telling you, the only thing you need to do is understand a little better how your insulin works. Take your synthroid on time. Do it every day. Don't and don't. I mean, look, if you're going to tell me that I'm going to get bored, then there's nothing I can tell you in return. I don't think there's anything your therapist is going to tell you in your return. You got to you got to prioritize you and you got to stop listening to ghost voices tell you you're bad at this. 
That's how it seems to me. But I've only known you for an hour, 10 minutes, 17 seconds. So I'm not sure. <laughs> it's still, it's at 17 seconds there. <laughs> that, that, that's where I really started understanding. Sense. Yes. Um, I was going to say something and now I've just forgotten it. That's okay. Oh, well. Take your time. Um, oh, my mom um, told me something really weird when I was like 30. Um, she died when I was 32. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were at a family function and she she said, oh, did I ever tell you the plans that uh, your dad had for you? And I said, plans. And she said, well, he had decided that after graduation, you were going to go to school at UC Berkeley, which was laughable because my grades would never let me get into UC Berkeley. But they had both gone to UC Berkeley. Um, and you would live at home until you met your husband. And then he would hand you over to your husband. Not that my dad was one of those religious people who thought, you know, the man is the head of the house kind of crap, but he thought that I would need to be uh, watched over my entire life. And so he would do the watching over until my husband did. And that floored me. (laughs) Emily, would it? hurt you to know that I think it would have been better if you were born and then left in the woods to your own devices. (laughs) (laughs) I think think if you would have grown up feral, you might be in a better situation right now. (laughs) (laughs) See, but my parents were both great. I don't want uh, they were anybody doing the best to thing. listen to it's this the 70s. and think that they weren't. Yeah, look, and I was born in the 70s, too. Trust me. I know what you're talking about. Like, nobody was thinking about anything very deeply. Um, you know, it, it's people were not, you know, if your kid wasn't dead, you were taking care of them. You know, the, the idea of you go going to college was like a great thing. You know what I mean? Get out of here. We're not paying for you anymore. You know, be gone with you. You'd probably, the, the only thing I think that you could hear today that would make you cry is that I'm considering after talking to you, getting in a car and driving two hours to take my son something he needs at college. And I, I would think that like that seems like something that no one would ever do for you. And, and it's just that I've made a decision to like, I've made a decision to be the kind of parent I think you wanted to have. And you got the kind that, that, you know, either got sick and died or was like, Oh, I'm going to get sick and die one day. I better have some time for me. And they stopped making time for you, you know, but you could do it for yourself. Do you have kids? No, no, I have never really wanted children. And then. Um, That's cool. Like, I mean, are you married? Are you with anybody? Are you by yourself? I am. I am married. Uh, I'm actually married to someone I went to high school with, although we weren't dating at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, we just weren't interested in kids. I like cats better. And then I just thought my genes are not the genes that should get passed on. Respectable. For the future of That's a respectable decision. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say anything bad about that. Can we put this guy in charge of the synthroid? I like him having a job in this. <laughs> oh, he can tell when my blood sugar is low way before I can. I want him in charge of the synthroid. I want him in charge of the synthroid. I want you taking that synthroid every day for ninety days, and then I want you back at your doctor to get a blood test to see where your TSH level is. 
And if your t- yeah. if your TSH is over two, I want you to tell the doctor I want my TSH to be two or below, and then let's get my medication right so that happens. And in those ninety days too, you start taking a little better care of your blood sugars. I'm telling you, you're a different person after this is over. Okay. Well, I will tell him he gets up. Uh, we both work from home, but mm-hmm. he gets up about an hour before I do. So I'll just tell him to wake me up and make me take my pill. Stick that thing in your mouth. Drink a little water. Make sure you have enough. And then whatever. Um, and that, yeah, that hour will be perfect. I Seriously, it, it, nothing wrong with needing help getting this going. You know what I mean? Nothing wrong with that. Let him help with that. And, you know, we'll task you with listening to a couple specific episodes of the podcast and see if you can't figure out how to use your insulin a little more effectively. Does this all make sense to you? Or are we going to get off this and you're going to be like, ah, screw that guy? (laughs) No, I mean, I feel very motivated at the moment. Good. Well, great. Then that's it. Let's leave you right here then. Like, let me not stop. Let me. I've done my job. There's no more talking to do. Excellent. Do you want me to tell you the episodes I think you should listen to? Um, weren't you going to email them to me? I, I don't know anything to write gonna anything do, down with. Shh, shh, Emily, we're just making the podcast. You don't have to write it down. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. We just want the people oh. to hear. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes. Don't please. I w- please tell me them right now. <laughs> See? Look at You're getting it now. All right. <laughs> so I think there are a number of different places and ways to begin. Um, do you, are you comfortable with terminology? Do you think you know the terms that you need to know for diabetes? Because if not, I have one of yeah. those. You do. I, I think I'm, I'm, I think so. Um, I mean, I was on the, uh, uh, one of the Facebook groups for a while until I realized that it wasn't the face group for me because it was mostly people talking about taking care of their diabetic children. And I didn't feel like I really had far. I can't tell anybody how to take care of their diabetic child. May I, Emily, you're thinking about that backwards. So it doesn't matter if they're kids or adults. By the way, there are a ton of adults in there. They're just quieter. They don't. They lurk more than they talk. But the point is, is that taking care of a five-year-old's diabetes, taking care of your diabetes at its core, is pretty much the same thing. So like, let the let the other stuff go. Just look at the focus. But if I said to you, bolus, you know what a bolus is, right? Yes. Okay. Basil. Uh, bolus is the kind that you. You or basil. I might be getting them reverse. Okay, basil is the kind you take. Uh, would be taking your short-acting insulin. And bolus is the long-acting. You have those backwards. Okay. Okay. So basil is your lantus. Bolus is your humalog. Okay. So, so just having said that to you, I'm going to tell you that there's a series of very short episodes called "Defining Diabetes." I'm going to send you that list. Okay. Okay. And they're three five minutes long. They're going to pick terms and they're going to define them for you. It's not going to be boring. And then you'll you'll kind of have this idea of like these these things that are going to come up in these other episodes. Once you have those, you move on to the pro tip series. And the pro tip series is just going to walk you through basically how I think about taking care of my daughter's blood sugar. It's going to be me and this CDE named Jenny. Jenny's had diabetes for like 33 years. She's delightful. She's from the Midwest. Right. So you can't help but love her. And um, I don't think they're boring. They're going to it's going to be one of the episodes is going to be how to start over. One's going to be about MDI, about pre-bolusing, about insulin pumping, and then some other ideas, some variables that might impact you, how illness, exercise, 
how those things might help you, um, might might impact your decisions. That's it. There's there's not many there. I think if you listen probably to the first like ten or ten or so, you should be in a better situation. So I would have you listen to Defining Diabetes first, then the Pro Tip series, and then if you like them or you see them helping you, that's when I say just jump in. Because even if you think about your episode right now, like if I asked you when this is over, what's this about? You're going to say, I got diabetes when I was younger. I've had a lot of grief in my life and I'm struggling, right? Except there's a ton of management conversation in this too. And that exists in every one of those conversations. So sometimes just hearing people talking about it normalizes it and it makes it feel you know, like it's not work. It just, I don't think of diabetes as work. Like you don't put much effort into diabetes, you said, but you don't get a return. I probably put about as much effort into it as you do. And my kid's A1C is in the fives. And she doesn't have any diet restrictions. She had like some pasta and bolognese sauce last night when she went to that restaurant. Yeah, but did she have a Christmas tree? (laughs) Every year, every year, Emily. I swear to you, that's a wonderful, I, I wish I could find out what the hell that was about. Like you can have a Christmas tree with diabetes. Shame on anybody who wrote that episode, that, that, that article, by the way. Um, yeah, that was nuts. Yeah. That was a, a, a joke in my family for years. For years. Well, it should have been, it's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. So hold on. I am actually creating, I'm going to create an email to you right now so that I, so that I literally don't forget because I'm so hungry <laughs> when I get done here, I am 100% going to go eat something. Um, okay. Do you feel okay about all this? Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? I just want to end on a funny story, if I may. Please. Okay. So um, we took a trip to San Francisco once, My uh, everybody in my family, because I was like, a, I think, 11. Um, and so we all went to Fisherman's Wharf. Uh, there was a favorite restaurant my family would go to. Mm-hmm. And um, I was sitting, my mom would usually give me my insulin um, when I was 11, just because it was easier. Sure. I mean, I could do it myself if I wanted to, but she just wanted to. So uh, and I was sitting sort of next to the wall and my three, two sisters were sitting next to me. So it wouldn't have been easy for me to get out and go to the bathroom and shoot myself. Mm-hmm. So um mom we had ordered our meal and mom's like okay uh i'm gonna shoot you shoot you now um just get under the table and i'm like get under the table she's like yeah and i'm like okay so i get under the table and i stick my arm out and she shoots myself she shoots me and i pop up and the weight person is there ready to put my food down and so she had the weight person had shown up while i was under the table saw that i wasn't there turned around picked up my plate and went to put it down down and then I was there <laughs> and she nearly jumped out of her skin and we thought it was hilarious <laughs> well I'm I'm sad that they made you get under the table to get your to get your insulin but at the same time um I think the story's hilarious <laughs> yeah, yeah well that is the kind of person my mother was she just caused very funny things to happen so well it sounds like she was lovely it sounds like in general, you guys were overwhelmed with diabetes and we're not getting any help. And I hope that somehow this has been helpful to you. Um, yes. I really and I would like it. to add to anybody listening, I did and do love everyone in my family. So well, all the little things that I'm talking about 
yeah, for context, look, look, I, I have to thank you for your honesty because you really were able to come on and tell stories that, you know, didn't shine people in the brightest light all the time, but you, there's no need to say, I mean, to me, there's no need to say what you said, because I don't think that what you said is an indication you didn't love and respect and care for your family. I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes people are outmatched by the things they're asked to do in life. And sometimes those things impact children. And you were around some people who got outmatched a couple of times, unfairly, it points even to them. Uh, and then it just had the impact on you that it had. And it's not fair to you either. So, uh, you know, you don't need to, it's not, you know, just because that's how their life went doesn't mean that that's how your life needs to go. I guess. If there's what I'm do, thinking. Do you still think this is an, an after dark episode? Oh yeah. This is very sad, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredibly sad. You're a little girl who, listen, let's not go over it again. But um, no, I, I I think it fits well in the After Darks. Have you heard any of the After Darks? Uh, yeah. Uh, the one that caused me to write my email was the one with the, the woman who was a recovering heroin addict. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That one's tough. They're all tough. Have you? There's a ton of them that are actually, are I think of as some of the best podcasts that we have. Because like yours... People come on and they, they've gotten to a point where they recognize that they're going to be incredibly honest because that's what people need to hear. So mm -hmm. I appreciate that you did that very much. Well, I'm going to thank you for listening first, and I'm going to thank Emily for telling her story. And then I'm going to thank Dexcom and Omnipod for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. So here I go. Well, I guess I don't have to do it now. I pretty much did it. Uh, Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Go check out the Dexcom G6. See if you're eligible for the 10 day trial. Get started today. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box may be eligible for a 30 day trial of the dash. You can check out the Omnipod 5 too. And what else? You can get started with my link. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting the podcast. So thank you for using those links. Speaking of the sponsors, I almost forgot that I am contractually obligated to say this. For full safety, risk information, and free trial terms and conditions, also visit omnipod.com forward slash juice box. All right, now we'll get to the other stuff. All of the episodes that I spoke about with Molly are available at juiceboxpodcast.com, diabetesprotip.com, or you can join the private Facebook group and then scroll to the top and click on the feature tab where they're listed for you. These are going to be the Diabetes Pro Tips. This will be the Diabetes Pro Tip series, the Defining Diabetes series, and there's a lot else. There's a lot else. That's not English. There's a lot more. Uh, check out those lists in the Facebook page or on the website. If you're enjoying the podcast, Please tell someone else about it. Please, please, please share the show. It's how it grows. And it is really growing. And it's because of you. And I can't thank you enough. Oh, what else? Seems like there should be more. But this is about an hour and a half in. You're probably getting a little tired of me by now. So maybe I'll just let you go. Does that seem fair? I'll bring, up, uh, I'll bring you another podcast very soon. You can check that one out too. Before I go, let me thank somebody in the Canada for leaving a really wonderful review of the podcast it says I do not listen to podcasts that's actually not what it says it says I did not listen to podcasts before my daughter was diagnosed type 1 in February 2022 now 
I listen to the podcast religiously and find that I have learned so much about good diabetes management from the pro tip episodes, the pumping episodes, and the ongoing exploration of how others with type 1 manage their disease. I am less than six months out with my kid's diagnosis and feel like a mini expert on how to manage her disease and how to teach others about how to manage it. Isn't that lovely? That's all the way from the Canada. That's a foreign country. Did you know the internet even worked like that? I want to thank whoever Jojo Jammer is, by the way, Jojo Jammer, cool name, for leaving this wonderful review. It takes a few minutes to leave a well-thought-out five-star review that helps other people see the podcast and think, maybe I'll give this a try. So if you're looking for ways to promote the podcast, leaving a great review is one of them. Telling a friend is one. Uh, tell your doctor. You can yell out the window if you want. I don't think it's going to reach anybody, but um, do that. And while I'm thanking people here at the end, do you know, there would be no way for you to know, I've never said this on the podcast, I don't believe. I think we're up to like six states in the United States where somebody has a juice box podcast license plate, a vanity plate, like someone, uh, they say like juice boxer, juice box, like stuff like that. Um, I I tried to show my children because I thought it was really cool. And they were like, well, what are people doing? I was like, I don't know. Isn't this really great? They love the podcast so much. They did a plate for their car with it. Anyway, um, it'd be cool if you guys all did that. So could you, uh, you know, free time or whatever, go get a different license plate. I'd like to have like a, a collage of all 50 states and not for nothing. There are license plates on cars in other countries too. So you know what I mean? Uh, anyway, if you do that, thank you. It's very cool. It's, it's heartwarming, but if you definitely do it, send me a picture, please. All right. Now I'm really leaving. I'm out of here. What do I have to say at the end? Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox podcast.